happen. So Sarah, we got Patrick on the line. What do you want to ask him? Um, what obstacles or oppositions did you face when acquiring your first deal and how did you overcome them? Uh, quite honestly, there's a huge dropout rate in the space from you know people that kind of say, hey, I'm going to go do it, to people that actually make it happen. Um, you're doing a, it's a combination of oftentimes a career change mm-hmm. and being an entrepreneur. And uh, it really takes those two kind of things because um, in the space, when I, I mean, I got into it, I didn't know anybody that was in multifamily and I wasn't certain that the first multifamily was it. I just knew single family wasn't it. You know, so part of what I did was I partnered up. I started talking to people like Brian. In fact, in fact, his team, we actually got real close to working on a deal together, but you got to kind of find that path. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe, and I'm very excited for this show today. It's another one of our Ask the Experts on. Uh, we got two people on the line with us that I think are absolutely amazing. We got Patrick Grimes and Sarah Hanna. And Patrick, you're up to bat first. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Uh, excited to be here. I know that back before we had any deals or I had any deals, uh, I met you on Slack channels. We were grinding yep. away, doing underwriting. We met at a, a conference and it's mm-hmm. a couple of years down the line now and we've both come a long ways and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's it's, it's fun to see, you know, like you said, we, we started out, you know, brand new together right around the same time. And it's 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 fun to see how how we've both gone, you know, gotten a, a certain amount of success, you know, in completely different directions as well. But uh um, happy to talk with you and glad we've we've reconnected after you know quite a bit of time. So um, thanks for coming on the show again. Absolutely. And nice to meet you, Sarah. I'm excited nice to, to get your you too. I'm excited yeah. to hear your story and, and get some great questions from you at the end. All right. This should be fun. And you know, I, I should say welcome Sarah too, but uh, you know, I usually save that to the middle middle, but Sarah, welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Absolutely. This is gonna be a, a good time here. So um, but Patrick, you're, you're, you're in the hot seat first. So let's, let's talk about you for a bit. Um, talk about your background and history and what got you into apartment investing. Sure. Well, I started out as a mechanical engineering student and started at machine design automation and robotics. After a couple of years of that, I, I had done a summit, a winery, I'd done a stint at a Toyota facility and then started an automation company. And that, that owner said, Hey, look, you need to put all your money in real estate. While this uh, engineering business is cognitively rewarding and a lot of fun, it's not going to provide you the, the life you want in your future. It's highly volatile mm-hmm. and you need to invest as much as you can and as soon as you can. So I took that to heart, saved up everything, dumped it into a bunch of what I thought were very um, profitable investments in land and that were going with developers that had a good, good track record. Uh, that we're going to build on. Uh, and all of that went south because it was back in 2007 when the market was never going to go down. And then so eight, nine, 10 happened. I was able to avoid BK, but it was very humbling. I learned a lot about the difference between speculating and investing during that time. Uh, and then when I came out of it, 
uh, I went into uh, kind of dove back into my high tech career, mm-hmm. did a couple master's degrees. And uh, at that point, I realized, hey, look, I've, I'm getting bonuses. I need to get back into real estate. Mm-hmm. And so then it kind of, I sought lesser risky assets and better markets, recession resilient job makeups and in areas that I, and in specific investments where I know I could see a comparable that was already built already there. And I was doing a, a, a measurable lift to that. Mm-hmm. And essentially the, the, you know, the Burr method, um, but I was a hold investor at the time. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, you know, kind of got burned around that recession time. Um, and so if I'm, if I'm hearing you right, you kind of, you went towards a more reliable, more safe um, way of investing. You know, in the, the development is a little bit speculative. I mean, you're, you're making guesses on, you know, what's going to happen three years from now, you know, what the apartment landscape is going to be like. Um, whereas with, you know, buying existing multifamily, I mean, the, the risk is, is a lot different because you typically have years and years and years of rent history, and you can kind of project that into the future. So, um, so, so you, you, you did Burr method, uh, or, or were we talking small multifamily at this point, or were you getting into like the larger stuff? At this? Yeah. I mean, what you're saying is right on with the short term bridge debt and hard money necessary to do the development mm-hmm. deals. It was, it, you can be left without a seat when the music stops and that's what happened to me. So mm-hmm. with, with smaller single family, what I could do with all of my own money, I felt as a little lower risk. And because I had comparables, like you're saying that were income producing, I could buy income producing assets immediately. I started buying, renovating and holding. But after a while, that got to be single family assets mm-hmm. in the recession resilient markets. So out of California, yep. after a while, that got to be very tiring. Uh, I was moonlighting it. I needed to figure out a way to trade up and not sacrifice my family, friends, and hobbies mm-hmm. outside of my engineering job for my real estate investment career. And that's when I dis- discovered multifamily investing, where you can be passive or active, but even on the active side, you can rely on partners to do some of the heavy lifting with you and take on you know jobs that you like. And, and so that's about the time that uh, I met, and when I met my wife, I said, look, I, I can't continue to, to burn the midnight candle all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've got to find a way to scale. I can't just do one house at a time. I need to do larger units. And, uh, so that's why I shifted into multifamily. All right. And, uh, do you assume your, your wife was supportive with that? Well, actually, I think you might've met her at one of the events that, um, I took Rock her. Thief. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, she's enchanting. She's amazing. She's in animation production. And we had met when she was going to CalArts mm-hmm. at the time, getting her master's degree. So she's going gangbusters in that career, but I needed her on board. So I did bring her to various events. Uh, it did take some time to kind of educate that because we had gotten married in California and Beijing, where she's from, mm-hmm. to kind of educate on what is this financial uh, investment, entrepreneurship, financial freedom, all this stuff. I uh, were relatively newer concepts. Yep. So I, it took a little time, but when she got on board, she mm-hmm. put her vision board together and she was a hundred percent in and uh, she was pushing me and she's a math whiz. So she mm-hmm. helped out nice. not only in creating 60 passive, or I think she's up to 80 educational videos for our investor base, but she also uh, would help with the underwriting and uh, a great sounding board for the business. 
while being a production manager producing feature linked animations. So very so, happy to have her. So she's completely in. I mean, she's she's all in with you, which is which is nice. Um, for for my wife, I talked about the apartment investing, and she was always um, kind of lukewarm on you know what my my moonlight my burning the candle job was. You know my my side hustle, but. Uh, when we sold our first um, investment property and walked away with a big chunk of money, you know, I remember she just looked at me one day and said, so real estate, huh? You know, and ever since that, you know, she, she's been all in, but um, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it's always important that your partners is, is, is supportive at, at, at the at minimum supportive, but uh, sounds mm-hmm. like you, you've got her very much involved. So, which is awesome. Um so one thing I'd like to ask everybody about is, is their big burning why, you know, their motivation for what they do. So what would you say your big burning why is? Well, let, let me parlay because yeah. there was a minute there where I was just dumping energy and time and resources into the business and she wasn't seeing much back. But mm-hmm. we just had our first exit, to, to your point. Yeah. Last year, we bought at $27 million and sold at $37 million March to December last year, 208 units in Florida. Mm-hmm. And that huge win meant a large piece of income coming back. And, and that was another light bulb I, see, I think oh, yes. came off is it's not just on paper now. It's very real, tangible. Uh, and so that, that definitely helps a, an additional accelerator on, on the journey. Absolutely. But the bur- yeah, the burning why. You know, I'm, kind of, I'm passionate about helping people and I'm a community builder. And I've always been that way. Even my birthday for 12 years, I take, before COVID, I I took 40 people up to the wine country on a charter bus for four days. And Mm -hmm. I just loved bringing people together and doing things together. So the single family journey was very lonely because it Mm -hmm. was just me. And it was a lot of work. But with multifamily, I get to not only bring great partners like yourself, Brian, and Mm -hmm. other excellent, very intelligent people out there. And we get to work together to take down an asset where we all bring our superpowers and we do what hopefully you're like doing, because if you're yeah. not doing your job, you better be passionate about whatever it is you're doing and in your other time. And at the same time, we're producing not just something for ourselves, but we're making the world a better place. We're yeah. providing a cleaner, safer, and improved living experience for our tenants because we're buying these properties that have been neglected and mismanaged. Mm-hmm. And, our, and we are through the process investing into the communities and the buildings and producing a better return for our investors. Mm -hmm. And not only is that return a good return, but it's all the tax shielding and inflation hedging and and recession resilient uh, type of investments that are completely different from what took me down in the first recession, right? Mm -hmm. Doing the single family, hard money loans, signing as a guarantor, cross-collateralizing resulted in me losing everything. And for the single family investor, whether they know it or not, that's oftentimes what they're doing, the flippers and the renters. And on these multifamily, you can, we were, all of our investments are on islands and Mm -hmm. they're protected. And I think that that burning why is each time I do a deal, not only does it take years off of our working life and provide a, a better life for our family, but it also does so for our investors. And we get to live in this great community and work with great people. Yeah, I think this is one of the the ultimate uh, you know win win situations, and you know, probably tack on a couple extra wins on there. You know, so you know we're we're helping ourselves. Obviously, we're helping the people we partner with. We're helping the people who invest with us, and we're helping the people who live in the communities. You know, so 
Um, I, I've I've always been a Stephen Covey fan, and you know, one of his seven habits is think win-win. But um, I really think this business is a win-win-win-win scenario where you know there, there's a lot of wins that come from this. So, um, and and one thing that you you mentioned, you know, from your experience, it's also you know, a fairly resilient investment opportunity, you know, there, there can be, you, you can lose your money, but you're a lot less likely to lose your money on existing multifamily than, you know, what, what you said the alternative was, you know, lots of single family or developments. So um, well, that said, let's, let's talk about one of the projects you've been involved in. Um, tell us about, uh, you know, your first or your favorite or, you know, whichever your most recent, whichever one you, you most want to talk about. Well, uh, my, to, to, by the way, to your point is mm-hmm. that mindset of the win-win, it's not shared out there by all the investors. And okay. in fact, when we did, when we bought, we got this property that we just closed on in Houston, we packed, we printed out a, almost a ream thick stack of unanswered maintenance requests. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy had neglected the tenants and through COVID, they stopped paying him mm-hmm. at a 19% bad debt and which meant uncollected rents. Yeah. And uh, he lost his building. Uh, and, and there was all this re- deferred maintenance. And so we, we get to get in there. Uh, we get to make the lives better. The tenants give a great return for our investors and build up the community and make it safer. And so mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a great place to be. So you, you got the whole feel good. But yeah, yeah so, uh, our, so our company is doing some great things. We've really got some momentum. By the end of April, we'll have about 3,000 units mm-hmm. uh, across Texas, the Midwest, and the Southeast, uh, Eastern states, um, places like Houston and Dallas and Atlanta, um, Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, various cities in Florida mm-hmm. and Northern and Southern uh, Carolinas. And those are all value-add multifamily B and C class. Yep. We're doing a bit more portfolio type investing now. Uh, right now, we're, we're working on finishing up the raise. It's a $32 million raise for 772 units. Got it at a seven cap, which means an extraordinary discount. Yeah. Um, individual held it for five to 15 years and didn't renovate it. And now instead of needing to infuse capital, he's just saying, hey, look, I'd rather get it off my plate, off market to somebody yeah. who will take it. And so it's a it's incredible opportunity. And um, I'm real excited because it's it's very rare that you can get that kind of a discounted buy with the rinse and repeat easy renovations to meet mm-hmm. market rents, which are leading to two to three hundred dollars. And um, one of the benefits of my our business structure is that you know we're we're filed as a 506C, which means I can kind of be forward-facing. I can talk yeah. about our investments directly. And and so that's one of those opportunities where you know, our investors can come in and all of a sudden on day one, be diversified across seven properties in two yeah. states and a portfolio. And we can immediately start distributing monthly right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I like the the model. And I think portfolios are definitely a great way to go as far as diversification goes. And um, you said $36 million raise. Is that what 32. you said? 32, 32. million dollar yeah. raise. Okay. We're only down to a couple million left, actually. All right. And that that's that's significant. I mean, that's that's more on one portfolio than uh you know our company's raised on you know a, a whole lot of units, you know. So um very, very substantial there. Um anyway, so uh, something you mentioned earlier, you know, you talked about the the rinse and repeat, you know, which is uh you know something that I think about a lot. You know, we've you go in and 
you're basically doing the same thing you've done on other properties. You know, your first time in, it may be a new experience, but if you're able to systematize things and, you know, figure out the, the renovations and, and how to, to operate the properties, bringing on the second, third and fourth properties, or, you know, however many you have is just a rinse and repeat situation. So mm-hmm. um, it's one thing that's, that's very nice about the business. Um, there's obviously differences between properties and, you know, you learn something new with everyone, but for the most part, you know, you can come in and just rinse and repeat what you've done, you know, down the road or in the next community down. So, and it takes some discipline, right? Because I'm constantly uh, bombarded with those shiny objects. Oh, go do this vacation rental thing, or here's this weird crypto variant or this or that. But, you know, once you've done a project and you've executed it and you've done it again and you've refined and you refined, I find that sticking to our guns, very narrow criteria, very risk averse, low leveraged, uh, and not major conversions uh, mm-hmm. between large assets, keeping the, the upgrade per unit costs down. Yep. If you just stick to this rinse and repeat model, just keep make, just keep after it. And there's always ways to get a higher return, but not necessarily mm-hmm. that level of a risk-adjusted return. In other words, I'm, I'm convinced that the tortoise will outpace the hair from all the shiny objects out there if we just keep with the tried and true process. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, funny, you mean bring up that story. Um, I've always wondered about that story. I mean, why couldn't the hair just keep on going? You know, why can't you be fast and steady? But uh, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it took me a long time to understand the, the thing. And I think you're right. You know, slow and steady is, is going to win the race. Um, and yeah. when, when you talk about risk adjustments, you know, when I, when I look at risk now, you know, and a lot different than I looked at risk, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, um, if, if somebody has executed the business model before, you know, that brings the risk level down or it doesn't, I mean, you, you can have a good business plan, you can have a good market, you can have a good property, you know, but if you've never executed, that's a higher risk level. And so something else that you bring to the table is you've done it before, you know, a couple of times, several times. And so when you talk risk adjusted returns, there's not just the the lower level of risk from the properties you guys pick in the business plan, but from the mm-hmm. execution side as well. Yeah, I think that the 100%, the, the sponsor risk is oftentimes not quite looked at as strong mm-hmm. as the deal risk and market risk, right? And the cycle risk of where we're at. And I, I think that one other thing that's strong is individuals like ourselves that have been through a downturn. Mm-hmm. Before we've seen what happens uh, when the debt markets dry up and your loan gets bought and sold. And a lot of the times when I'm talking to somebody that hasn't, they can't understand the questions I'm asking because they mm-hmm. haven't seen it and been through it. And you know, when we talk about risk adjusted, we're saying, well, we you know, 67% break-even occupancy means that we're putting 60% down, not mm-hmm. 15% down or 20% down, like you yeah. see. But that shell of back to the tortoise, it's a heavier mm-hmm. shell. To, it's a heavier shell to carry, mm-hmm. right? But it's a steady, tried and true. And with the market volatility of BNC class multifamily or our workforce housing multifamily, it's only dropped into the 80s on occupancy, mm-hmm. even in the downturns we've seen. But our break-even occupancy is well below that. We're cash flowing on day one. Mm-hmm. We'll be able to ride it out, right? We got two. We got six months worth of operating reserve just earmarked in an account. Just in case, that means six months worth of expenses. We could float the entire property if we don't get income for six months. Tornado hits, we're first in line to, to repair, 
and get get back up and running because we already have the cash to do mm-hmm. it. And then after the fact, we can go after our replacement costs, mm-hmm. insurance, and our loss of revenue or rent insurance. And, mm-hmm. and the interesting thing is, by the time you've done that, now you have new buildings, yep. which they were old, and it's less cost to do the renovation of those buildings because you're you're renovating now yeah. building to the new renovation level. And they're insured for 100% occupancy. Well, they, they weren't 100% before, but as long as you have the cash on hand to float forward to recover from those mm-hmm. and you've not squeezed every last dime out of the deal, then it's a very low risk asset. It's well capitalized, it's low leveraged, and it can recover and withstand the test of a market cycle or a natural disaster. And I think yeah. you know, all of that, it may lower your return. We're not going to be having 20 plus IRRs in our deals, right? right? Mm-hmm. We're going to have risk adjusted returns, ones that are down because we've decreased the risk, right? Yeah. But way better in the stock market and way more tax advantaged and inflation hedged. And you're not going to lose it all one day yeah. <laughs> because it's a hard asset, right? So yeah, lots, lots of goodness there. So last question for you, uh, what's next for you? Well, so our company has been uh, kind of going through a little bit of a shift where I tend to be more of a head to the grindstone, get the work done engineering type. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't done any podcasts uh, before it, beginning of this year. I hadn't uh, gotten out there really. And uh, so now we're finally starting to get the, the message out. I mean, I have a high tech career in automation and robotics, so it's fairly well known there. And mm-hmm. many of those individuals have invested with me and have. And even the guy that originally got me on the real estate path like 20 years ago, he's he's still investing with me in my deals today. But now um, we're, we're getting the message out there. We're doing a PBS uh, um, educational piece. I've got, uh, which I'd like to offer to your listeners. I did an, uh, I contributed a chapter in a book with co-authored it with some other people. Okay. It's called Persistence, Pivots, and Game Changers, Turning Challenges and Opportunities. Nice. Um, I'm, I'm over here, much better looking guys uh, yep. or everywhere else, <laughs> but I had hair back then. Yep. Um, but there's Russell Gray from the Real Estate Guys, uh, Phil Collins, lead guitarist of Def Leppard. Mm. entrepreneurs, NBA, NFL coaches, and players. So there's a lot of really fun. This is a great project, tells my story. And I'd be happy to give it to your, assign hard copy to your listeners if they want to go to our site and and sign up for an investor strategy session. We talk about your goals. And I believe in this content. And I believe in what this does. This story does. It's a lot of really cool people in here. Yeah. I'd be happy to do that. So we did this. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got some information, passive investor guides out there. And uh, I'm starting a, I am starting a podcast myself um, nice. and starting to invest more as a, I'm a Forbes author now and I've got two articles they published and I'm a third on the way. So I'm just trying to work on getting that message out there because it's financial education is very underserved in the country and, and generally globally. Yeah. And you, all you learn to do is a savings account and a checking account. And then you trust in 401ks and people don't even know that that means you're just guaranteed to work forever and, mm-hmm. you know, diversifying your yeah, portfolio. Until you're old enough to, to start pulling the money out and who wants to do yeah. that, right? Exactly. And then your basis dwindles until you pass mm-hmm. and that's not really legacy wealth in that case. Yeah. 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 All right. So for anybody listening, if you're interested in that, we'll have a, in, in the book offer, we'll have a link to the, the website where you can grab that. Um, and, uh, you know, encourage everybody to take them up on that. So uh, we're going to shift gears and, 
bring Sarah on. So I've already welcomed you, but guess what? I'm going to welcome you again. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So do us a favor and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So um, I live in a small town in Northeastern Iowa. Mm-hmm. Population is about 10,000 here. Okay. But I graduated from the University of Northern Iowa in mm-hmm. 2020. I graduated with a degree in biology and a minor in chemistry. Mm-hmm. So right after college, I worked in a microbiology lab. You know, I had the white coat. I was wearing the gloves and the goggles. It was yep. really cool for the first six months. And then I realized there was, there was no growth here. Like mm-hmm. it was a, a nine to five job working 40 hours a week. And I thought to myself, I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life, you know, working for my money, trading my time for my money. Mm-hmm. And so about a year into that job, I decided to quit and reevaluate, think of new things I could do. And my boyfriend and partner, he's always been kind of an entrepreneur and he's always had this kind of ear of this eye on real estate. And so I applied to be a property manager in my town with no mm-hmm. experience. I had to go through three different interviews to, to prove that I could handle this job and this position but I wanted to become a property manager so I could get hands-on experience on the operation sides of um, assets and learn how important it is for your on-site manager because they can make or break the deal, um, make or break the cash flow. And so it's been great. I've been doing that for about six, seven months now, just getting my hands dirty. We are still hunting for our first deal, Mm -hmm. but we do officially have an LLC up and running, First Ascent Equity, which was really exciting to go through that process. Yeah. Um, and so we decided the the real estate um, to pursue the real estate um, avenue because we both also work at a CrossFit gym in town. Mm-hmm. And one of the members there is a pretty big fish in the real estate um, investing industry. And so we've kind of been learning from him and then going to meetups and um, hopping on calls like these with experienced investors to just try to to better acknowledge and help us get that first deal because after that first deal they say it's easier and so super excited to be here and to ask you some questions Patrick. Good for you Sarah that's a great yeah. story I'm glad to see that um, that uh, trading your time for money thing that happened early on that's that's awesome. Yeah. Yes yes. I, I wish I would have realized that uh, you know earlier on as well. I mean, so I, I had two degrees in math and, um, quite, quite frankly, I wanted to teach and I was working towards math so I could be able to teach. And I realized, you know, way, way, way too late after getting two degrees that, you know, I was not passionate about math, but, uh, um, you know, you, you made that uh, discovery a lot sooner, a lot earlier in life than I did, which is, um, you know, good, good for you. And, um, the other thing that I'd, I'd like to say is just, you know, good for you for, you know, going into a job where you can, you can learn, you know, and that's, that's something that I wish I would have done or had the courage to do. when I was a lot younger is, you know, go into a job so I can learn a business, learn and learn an industry so that, you know, later on in life, I could, I could capitalize on it. So, um, and, and you get in a job with the property management is going to you know pay lots and lots of dividends, you know, later on down the road. So, yeah. Um, I think the, the biggest thing I've learned from this job so far is that I don't want to be a property manager forever. Yep. <laughs> I want to get to the point where yeah. I can pay someone to do this job. <laughs> well, at least you're starting at one of the toughest jobs, right? Because yeah. you know yeah. that's why I got away from single family because now I have on-site property management. They, they call me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, let's talk about your, your big burning why. You know, you, t- you talked a little bit about your motivations, but if you can distill it down um, yeah. to, to why you, you want to do this. Yeah. And so like a lot of people, I want the financial freedom mm-hmm. where you don't have to worry about what you're doing is bringing in the income to support yourself and your family. And so I'm, I'm really young. I'm 24. So I don't have a lot of responsibilities right now. I don't have a family. I don't have kids. I don't have a house payment. Mm-hmm. So I realized right now is my opportunity to really roll up my sleeves, um, get my hands dirty, spend the next three, five years um, getting experience and getting those assets built up so that I can eventually do stuff I'm really passionate about that I, I know won't bring me any money mm-hmm. and that I can still support a family and be there for my family when I do have one. Yeah. And so I, I've got these crazy passions and ideas. Like I want to, I want to be on shark week and I would love to create content for shark week, but I can't rely on that to put food on the table for a family. And I'd love to somehow be part of Cirque du Soleil. I don't, if you've ever watched that Cirque down in like Vegas. Um, Can you do a demonstration for us? <laughs> oh no, no, I not be in it, but be on the board or something. Oh, got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. There, there, there's somebody in this industry who runs a podcast was actually part of Cirque du Soleil. Um, really? Yeah. Started out as a, a wrestler. He's Australian by, by trade. And um, for some reason I can picture his face, but I, I can't think of his name right now. But uh, um, you know, went from, from professional wrestling to Cirque du Soleil. And uh, anyway, wow. um, a lot, lot of cool stuff there. But, uh, Maybe he'll do the demonstration. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll, we'll let him do it. But uh, <laughs> anyway, lots lots of cool stuff there. But uh, um, anyway, we're coming up to my favorite part of the show where, you know, I, I get to sit in the back seat for a second and listen to some magic happen. So, Sarah, we got Patrick on the line. What do you want to ask him? Yeah, so, Patrick, my hmm. first question for you is um, what obstacles or oppositions did you face when acquiring your first deal and how did you overcome them? Hmm. Yeah, well, that is, uh, there's a lot, right? And uh, quite honestly, there's a huge dropout rate in the space from, you know, people that kind of say, hey, I'm going to go do it, to people that actually make it happen. Um, you're doing a, it's a combination of oftentimes a career change mm-hmm. and being an entrepreneur. And uh, it really takes those two kind of things because um, in the space, when I, I mean, I got into it, I didn't know anybody that was in multifamily and I wasn't certain that the first multifamily was it. I just knew single family wasn't it. I needed to find something else. And I heard all kinds of different strategies and nobody was shining a light saying walk towards it. it you know, I kind of had, a, I picked up some books that were lamps and they led me in different paths. And I kind of finally started finding a strategy, which made sense. And I think when I kind of went through that process, I was doing courses, I was going to seminars, and I was taking notes, and we were getting nights and weekends at Starbucks with me, and I invited my wife too, and she went through the videos, didn't quite take the notes I did. did. Um, I'm that guy that will work full-time and go do two master's degrees, right? A little bit of a glutton for punishment like Brian. Yeah. But but this was kind of my third one, right? And I kind of treated it that way. So, you know, when, when you just started, I, I joined uh, some of the, the, where I originally met Brian was through a Slack channel where, you know, I was getting, finally getting deal flow or just going online, finally meeting broker brokers. And I was submitting offers and um, uploading, underwriting, getting feedback and just kind of grinding it out. And uh, there was an old boys club where I would 
literally go meet with a broker in Tucson, for example, Mm -hmm. for like the fifth time and then find out he just awarded a pocket deal to another syndicator, Bakerson. And then, you know, I'm like, well, he's worked with them like 10 years. So I, it's, I can't blame him, but how do you break into that? Right. And, you know, so part of what I did was I partnered up. I started talking to people like Brian. In fact, in fact, his team, we actually got real close to working on a deal together, mm-hmm. which they're now exiting, which is great. I'm really excited to hear that from them. So kudos, Brian, on yeah. that. I didn't participate in that. I went to some other directions and other kind of assets and other markets, actually. And um, But you got to kind of find that path. And ultimately, Brian and I took similar paths. We partnered up with different people where we each had our superpowers. And each person kind of fell into a niche where you could be excited. And uh, and you, you keep bringing deals. You keep showing up. Uh, I think a lot of the times people would try and push value on me. I get all the time like, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm like, well, that's not what I'm looking for. They're not inquiring. What do you actually need right now? Right. What, what will advance me? What help do I need? And uh, rather than I need, I need, I need, you know, and I think that that's probably the, the obstacle that I found was finally finding or opening up my ears. They say, you know, when the, when the students ready, the teacher will appear. When I opened up my ears and I found what partners were, what, what value I could match then all of a sudden it was obvious and I did the first deal. And then, and then immediately we started the second deal I, without even a blink. And then the third deal was in, almost in parallel with the second deal. And that law of the first deal has happened when, you, when all the cards finally line up and you met the right people. But that happens through the trenches of just getting after it. Mm-hmm. For a lot, lot, I mean, it's traveling all over, meeting all kinds of people. A lot of things didn't go right. I lost money <laughs> during this time walking away from deals and traveling and investing in things that I was like, no, this isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. But each time I said, no, it drew me closer to the right people. It attracted the right people. It it solidified in my mind what I wanted to do. And I gained experience along the way. I I would add to that. There's a reason why I ask everybody their big burning why on this podcast, because I I had a big burning why, and it was, you know, bright and burning and, and, you know, red hot, but, uh, there were a lot of times where I wanted to give up. I wanted to quit. And it was that big burning. Why, you know, I just would remind myself of that every time, you know, Hey, this is why I'm doing it. And, you know, Patrick, he said trenches, you know, it's, it's hard. It's, it's not an easy thing to get into. And there's lots of stumbling and lots of failures on the way and a lot of near misses and a lot of um, a lot of things you have to push through, you know? So when you talk about challenges, you know, everybody has different challenges, but everybody has challenges. So, you know, how did I get through is I, I had a really clear why, a really clear reason for, for wanting to do it. And every time things got tough, I just reminded myself of that why and pushed. I knew that the military verbiage there would ring true with Brian. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, it was a Winston Churchill that said, if you ever find yourself traveling through health, keep going. Right? Keep going. Don't stay there. Yeah. Don't give up. Just Hell's the last place you want to stop. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Keep going. Awesome. And so did you have like a, a moment when you had a mind shit, a mindset shift or like, how did you have to change that mindset in order to keep moving forward and keep going through those trenches? Ultimately, how I got into the business was I brought dozens of deals to, to specific individuals that, uh, that shifted over time until I finally found a few. And then uh, one of the guys said, Hey, let's work together. And the mind shift I think was in the heart of what I was saying. And that's, 
getting into the first deal of that's right. The mind shift for me was first high risk land, getting away from speculation, getting to calculated investments in single family and then scaling to multifamily. But to get the first deal, the mind shift was, what does he need from me? Mm-hmm. Listen and probe into that and then do it all. Recorded the Zoom call of everything he had going on and I did everything I could. And ever since I've done every deck for every deal I've done, I've been flying out, doing the due diligence, getting grimy and dirty or inviting investors out, literally going through the mud and the down units and the mold and getting the heavy, getting the dirt, uh, sifting through it all and reporting. And I think what, what, what I found out was, well, this guy didn't need a deal. He's, he's got deal flow. This mm-hmm. guy didn't need capital. He's got, he's got all the capital he needs, but he's busy. Mm-hmm. Right. And he needs key players that have are willing to get the work done, are willing to. And I didn't even know what percentage I was going to get out of my first deal until after we closed. And I also was with the second deal. I had just had a trust that I believed in the deal. I knew what was happening. Uh, I understood it inside and out. And I was all in. Finally found a partner that had the same risk reverse approach conservative underwriting, low leverage, long-term fixed interest, all the things that I knew would survive a downturn. And it was the right path for me. I invested in those deals. And at the end of the day, it developed great partnerships moving forward. Right. And I think that was probably, I mean, that helps to answer a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it does. And it actually started started to answer my next question that I have for you. How how do you make yourself stand out from other, from everyone else who wants that same opportunity that you do? Um, well, what, what I think showing up consistently to the plate, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's them telling you with, with your ducks in a row, this is the work I've done. This is what I've got. Is this a value to you? Here's, here's a deal. Here's my concerns. Uh, here's why I think it's good. They come back. Uh, well, here's what you shouldn't be concerned about. Here's what you should be concerned about. They didn't even think about. Right. And, and then, but and then adjust your process and move forward. And I think learning, pay attention, and continuing to show up, you're going to stand out because there's a, there's a big, there's a lot of noise out there about this being a get rich quick scheme. Mm-hmm. It's like two and a half years from the day I said, I'm not going to do single family to, to the day I actually closed on my multi, yeah. first multifamily deal. It's not get rich quick. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's get rich slow is how I call it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's true. It's a steady tried and true process, mm-hmm. but you, you got to keep, you got to keep getting after it. And I think if you show up in that way where, you know, they're so worried about getting rich on a first deal and they're so worried about their return and they're not leading with value, they're not leading with, you know, showing up as somebody who's going to make their lives easier, give them back their nights with their family and let them go on vacation uh, and be kind of outwardly focused, right? Mm -hmm. Not only for your, your partners, the sponsor you're working with, as well as your investors, right? Um, then that they're going to see right through that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, there's something he said that uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer in is just showing up. You know, if you just show up every time, you're going to set yourself apart from everybody else. All right. Um, of course, there, there's the next level of, you know, you've got to show up and then do the right thing, but just showing up and consistently showing up at the right place in the right time is going to put you ahead of a lot of people. Um and then the, the one thing I'll add, you know, this podcast, for example, is something that I've done to try to set myself apart. You know, everybody does does it differently. You know, everybody has their own individuality that comes to, to play in it. But uh, 
you know, for me setting myself apart, you know, part of it's the podcast, you know, part of it's our, you know, our educational community that we've created, you know, a lot of what I've done has been on LinkedIn, you know, and just, you know, posting some very personal lessons learned on LinkedIn, but, uh, you know, end, end of the day, you know, showing up, figuring out what you can do and what your superpowers are and, you know, consistently showing up and consistently delivering. Slow Agreed. and steady. Awesome. Yeah. So my last question is more of asking for some advice. So I'm young. I work a couple of part-time jobs um, and I'm deciding whether or not I should get a full-time W-2, build up some capital um, and do real estate investing on the side um, to get more experience, get the first deal, but still building up the capital with a full-time five to nine job, or if I should really dedicate myself right now to learning, really networking, getting part of teams and dedicating it full-time while having some part-time gig on the side um, and really immersifying myself in this field while I'm young and I don't have a lot of bills to pay and a lot of responsibility. And so just asking for any advice, suggestions, or um, experience you may have with this um, for someone who's young, just getting into the field. Oh, right. That's for me. Forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so I don't know your specific situation, Sarah. Everybody's got their financial needs. And anytime you jump out into an entrepreneurial venture, or even if you talk to a financial planner, which I'm not a big fan of, you might agree on one thing. And that's that you do need some reserves, right? You need emergency reserves, so like six months to nine months of reserves. And so if, and then Robert Kiyosaki talks, you know, to, to be financially free, you got to either decrease your expenses or increase your passive income. So what I, what I like to say is if you can live conservatively uh, and in a way where you have the ability to go to college, right? Or go to a master's degree or what I like in my mind, if you start a venture, you need a runway, right? Any entrepreneur needs their runway. Uh, I think it's great to go all in somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you have the means and the ability to just go completely all in and show up at any time of day, because when when I need it, when, when I get a phone call saying, hey, we have a deal, it's in Dallas, we can't tell anybody about it, can you get out there? I, I red-eyed from Oahu and landed in Dallas that night. Uh, that morning, I showed up at the property that next day and we spent the next three days walking units, mm-hmm. right? And then we spent the next three days getting the, the the CapEx budgets and getting this underwritten so that we could decide whether or not we wanted to put the earnest money down and proceed. That was a real need. And so that flexibility, that all in, that reliability, if you can either do, if you have the means to go full time, I'd say go full time. You offer a whole different level to a sponsor. Or if you have some flexibility, like if you're going to take on a, a job, maybe craft around something that allows you to be uh, available when brokers are there, right? When you need to talk to lenders or insurance agents, or the only times a day that you're going to get access to these apartment units to do due diligence walks is typically either weekdays or uh, sometimes weekends, but weekdays, you know, between eight and five, eight and six, right? Mm-hmm. So if your full-time job prevents you from doing any of that, it certainly reduces mm-hmm. the amount of value that you can put. So, you know, technically I'm a contractor, right? And I and on the other side, doing machine design automation and robotics and still to this day. And during COVID, when multifamily dried up, it allowed me to dive in there. I didn't get a single order in quarter two from engineering. 
but I pivoted to COVID automated in 2020, but I pivoted to COVID automated assembly test kits. And then I had two record years, right? Producing automated machinery for test kits, but co completely multifamily, completely dried up. There was nothing going on. Nobody could get a loan. Everything mm -hmm. was frozen, right? So some flexibility in another high income producing way or something that maybe if it's not high income producing, but something that'll keep you going, right? To meet your needs. There's some value to that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm also going to borrow from Robert Kiyosaki and it, it goes right along with what Patrick said. But uh, if you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he says that, uh, you know, Robert, Robert and his wife, Kim, you know, at one point were homeless living out of a car while they were building their business. Now, um, do, do you have to go that far? No, you know, but, you know, they, they put all their time, effort and energy into building something and ended up, you know, building something that has affected a lot and lot and a lot of people. But, you know, basically you, you got to go all in, you know, that the longer of a runway you have, you know, the better off you're going to be. And I, I had a, a job, you know, I was active duty military and I knew what my first eligibility for retirement would be. I gave myself a three-year runway and I had the job Patrick said, don't have, you know, the one that's not very flexible, the one where you're, you know, inside a box from nine to five and you can't talk with the outside world. But you were uh, trapped in the Pentagon during COVID, I was right? trapped in the Pentagon. Trapped, yeah. And some days I felt like I was trapped, but uh, <laughs> yeah. um, you can walk out at any time, but yeah, end, end of the day, you know, I, I just had to keep on pushing through. I had to be all in and I had to make sure that I could, I, I could still deliver. I could still show up, but uh, you know, go all in, whatever that means for you. Um, if you have that runway, like I said, I had three years of an active duty paycheck that uh, kept on coming in regardless. Um, and that, that was my runway and, you know, saved up every, every penny that I could. Um, and, you know, now I'm in Kill charge. Him. Yeah. Now I'm yeah. flexible. Now, now I'm a rock star. I want. Yeah. yeah. So beautifully put, Brian. Yeah. So anyway, well, thanks a lot to, to both of you for coming on the show today. We, we do have to wrap things up. Um, and incidentally, the reason we have to wrap things up is because her business partner, Kyle, is recording with me in about six minutes. So um, one final question for, for both of you, Patrick, you, you get to go first. How can listeners <laughs> learn more about you? Yeah, sure. So investonmainstreet.com, all spelled out, investonmain and then street.com is our website. We have a bunch of great content there as well as information about our current investments. In addition to that, if you want to set up an investor strategy call, we'll ship you a signed hard copy of this book, Persistence, Pivots, and Game Changers. Uh, or you can shoot me an email at patrick at investonmainstreet.com and I'll be happy to set up a call and chat with you about your goals and see if I can get you in the right direction. All right. Sounds good. And we'll have links to the website and your email address in the show notes for anybody interested. Sarah, same question for you. How can listeners learn more about you? Yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Sarah Hannah, H on the end of Sarah, no H on the end of Hannah. Mm -hmm. And you can email me at Sarah at firstascentequity.com. And those would probably be the best ways to get a hold of me. All right. Sounds good. And that information will go into the show notes as well for anybody interested. And once again, thank you so much to both of you for your time today. And uh, that's a wrap. Thanks, Brian. And good luck to you, Sarah. Happy to get thank to meet you. you. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. 
If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at foroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.